Anyway, it's on page 796. It's Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, what had he heard? Well, what he had heard drew him to think about when he was with his cousin, who came to be known as John the Baptist. You will recall that Mary went to, at, was with child with Jesus, and she went to the high village, and, and uh, there she met Elizabeth, who was also expecting, and that was the son who would become known as John the Baptist. So they were contemporaries. They grew up together. They played together. Wouldn't it be neat to know so many of the things they experienced? Uh, so now when Jesus heard this, what had he heard? He had heard just then that King Herod had taken John the Baptist, who was his prisoner, and had him beheaded and taken the head and had it put on a platter and had that head on the platter taken and presented to Elizabeth, his mother. So now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they had heard the same message. They too were in grief, and they followed him on foot from the towns. Now when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, he had compassion for them <laughs> and, and cured their sick. How sick of heart they must have been. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, uh, you know, there is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, well, in, in Jewish customs, you had what is called Shiva. Uh, when you lose a family member, you, Shiva is the Hebrew word for seven, and you enter a seven-day period of excruciating grief where you generally, if you can, you stay in your home and you suffer and you grieve and people bring food to you. You don't make food for yourself. You're not even able to do that. So food is a big part of the situation here. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You, you give them something to eat. Well, they replied, oh, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, hmm, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. 
and take, take in the five loaves and two fishes. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them the, to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about hmm, 5,000 men besides women and children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gar. Do you know how fortunate you all are? You want me to tell you why you're fortunate? You have not heard one sermon yet today. You have nay heard two. Now you're going to hear three. So, just to let you know, you're fortunate folks. You're going to be triple blessed today. As you know, we're rephrasing a question that we've heard often repeated in tradition. The phrase is, what would Jesus do? We ask ourselves how Jesus would respond and act to in different circumstances and situations. We started last week with the understanding that Jesus would invite others to go on this journey. That was one of his practices in the story. He would extend an invitation, come and follow me, right? And we believe that Jesus would still do that today. That through us, the body of Christ, Jesus wants to do that. For us to be the invitation, to invite others to come and to follow him. This week, we're going to consider what it means for Jesus to heal the sick and feed the hungry, and how that had happened in our own world. Now, you probably note that during the prayers, the joys and concerns, one of the things that I did not mention was what happened last Sunday in Texas. The small little church that lost half of its congregation in that moment, right? I'd be remiss if we ignored the tragedy that happened, because we have an idea of church as a safe, hallowed sanctuary and space where we worshipers can come and gather and we carry that value system and hope that all others would recognize that value and yet we found out that's not true in our world. Not all people see this space the way that we do. Now, certainly we could stand around for a little while and we could theologize and we could politicize the Second Amendment and we could have quite a bit of subjective conversation on that. One of my colleagues attempted to do that on Facebook this week. You can probably imagine the response with me, right? He asked what he thought was a simple question. Would Jesus carry a gun? And he got so not so simple replies to his comment on Facebook, right? It's because it's subjective for all of us. It comes from a lot of different areas other than just our religious ideas. You think about the political implications that each one of us carry, our experiences, our lack of experiences, and things like that. When it comes to these elements, we speculate on what we think Jesus might do in that moment, really, because we interpret things all differently. Now, here's the objective conclusion, though, that I would offer to you this morning. Here's what I think we all understand and know. People who are hurting emotionally and or physically are bent towards helping or or trying to include others in their pain. If you think about it, right? People who are in pain try to get others to feel their pain as well. People who are grieved or are grieving can lash out and include others in that pain. We 
who are in pain have a tendency to inflict pain on others, right? But we also know that, that we are creatures of choice in this world and how we react to these circumstances as well. We, we can come at it from a variety of different perspectives. We can look at this and we can retreat from what transpires in the world. We can let fear trap us into a small little box. Or we can become angry at the circumstances and we can have rash answers to these things. We can blame others while not taking our own blame for the parts that we play in situations. We often promote ideas that are peripheral to the issues. We really never try to figure out how to solve the heart of matters. And so we come at it from very subjective kinds of ways. But if we look at the world objectively, I think the one thing that we would all agree upon is is that it's a broken place. I think we could put that to the scientific test and we'd be able to prove that theory over and over and over. The world is a broken place. Now how we choose to react to that is up to us. In the brokenness, I think we can also see goodness emerge. Because we all know that we are empowered to choose how we respond. We're empowered to engage in the world and we can engage for change, positive change in the world. And we are all capable of great acts of compassion and kindness as our response. That it come forth in who we are. And so I think that part of the objective truth of who we are as a people is is that people who are filled with God's love and vision for God's kingdom of justice and peace are people who should be finding positive ways to serve others, to serve the needs of this broken world, to envision a change that's different than what we often promote from our subjective points of view. Now let's think about this from from the scripture lesson this morning and try to tie the two together because they they do have a a point to them that I hope we all can live into as well. Garth's already done a great job of making the connection in the storyline in Matthew. If you read some of the other translations, they don't make the connection that Jesus is withdrawing from the news that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. It just simply launches off into this short little story with Jesus leaving. But Jesus is leaving for a purpose. He's heard disturbing news about his cousin John. It's painful news for him to hear. The disciples found John, his body, they have buried him, and then they went and sought out Jesus and they delivered him to him the news that his cousin John had been beheaded. And this news disturbed Jesus. Jesus withdrew. Now, Matthew puts it this way for a particular reason in his writing. It's because Matthew wants to juxtapose the kingdoms of the world versus the kingdoms of God. The kingdom of Herod, for him, represents worldly kingdoms. And in worldly kingdoms, power takes things away. It takes life away. It takes sustenance away. And certainly for those of us that might be on the downside of that, our response would be to resist having things taken away from us. But that was not Jesus' way. If you think about the worldly kingdoms, conflict is the way in which we respond. God's kingdom, not so much. Instead, we see Jesus who withdraws. He withdraws because in his frame of life and understanding, love doesn't fight for dominance. Love finds alternative routes to infiltrate hearts and lives. Love doesn't fight in conflict to win. 
Love tries to figure out through grace-filled interactions how to serve those who are affected, especially those that are left behind by the power brokers. And so Jesus withdraws. The crowds, though, hear about this. The crowds who are also disturbed by the news see Jesus withdraw, but they aren't going to let him escape. They follow along the shoreline and find where he comes ashore. And in that moment, Jesus sees this large crowd of people. Now, easily he could have said to them, leave me alone, but he doesn't. The scriptures use a particular word. You remember what Garth said or read? Jesus had compassion. Jesus in that moment was filled with compassion for the crowd and he healed the sick. I think the most powerful and positive emotion that can reside in any one of us is the emotion of compassion. And I say that for a particular reason. If you think of it, compassion is the active form of love. Compassion puts hands and feet, action, to the emotion that we call love. If we do not have compassion for the hurting that are around us and act on their behalf, then I would suggest to you that we don't possess genuine faith and love. Compassion is a centerpiece of who we proclaim to be as followers of Christ. Jesus was the divine and the human expression of God's love for us all, so it was necessary that Jesus act in compassion for that to be made known in our world. But Jesus didn't stop here. He healed the sick, and he went on to feed the crowds. must have taken him a while to heal all the people that were there because when he finished, it was nighttime. It was time for people to have dinner. And so the disciples, in good fashion, thinking about the crowds, say to Jesus, it's time to send them away. They've got to be hungry by now, and we certainly can't feed this many people. But Jesus looks at him and says, no, looks at them and says, no, have them all be seated, and let's gather what we can find. Of course, we know in the story a small boy has two fish and five loaves. See, I have you guys repeat these things to make sure you stay awake, all right? So five loaves, two fishes and five loaves, right? And then Jesus takes those items, and there's some wonderful words that are said in this moment. They might recall some other traditions that we celebrate. Jesus blessed them, offered thanks to God for them, broke the bread, and gave. You think of our communion tradition, right? Jesus in this moment is sharing with them in their needs, giving to them what they need in this moment. But if you think about it, Jesus didn't disperse it to the people. He didn't have them come by one by one. Jesus takes a, you know, palms upturned, take a piece of bread off, lightly dip it in the fish oil. No, he didn't do that with them, right? He said to the disciples, have them seated. Now you take these elements and you give to the people. He invited the the disciples to come and give of their own time, their talent, and their treasure in this moment to bear upon the needs of the people. Jesus invited the disciples to help him feed the hungry. A scholar and a commentator by the name of Eugene Boring gives us a good lesson on this. He writes and he says, The source of the feeding certainly is God. The miracle comes from God, but the resources are human. The work of the disciples, the bread of human effort is honored. It is used. It is magnified by Jesus. 
I think of this, your friends. I, I don't believe that anything that we do in the name of Jesus Christ is ever a waste of our time and effort. Amen? Anything that we do in the name of Christ is a good use of our time and effort and that God will bless it, honor it, magnify it beyond measure, beyond our imagination. We might not see the fruits of our labor in that moment, but they will be multiplied. They will be plenteous when done in faith and love and compassion. So what would Jesus do in 2017? I think Jesus would still heal the sick, And still feed the hungry. Jesus would be blessing, honoring, using, magnifying the efforts of the disciples. Jesus would be using our efforts in order for the kingdom of God that is compassion to come forth. To invite us into the goodness that God has going on in the world. To be a part of that ourselves. Imagine with me the stories that we could tell if we would find ourselves giving of compassionate work and service to the world. You know, with all the bad news that's going on in the world around us and all the things in which we see how we hurt one another, I I saw a video on Facebook this week that counted ways in which really positive good things are happening in the world. And and I thought I'd share it with you today, just some of the elements that were lifted up. It, It was put together by a Canadian astronaut by the name of Colonel Chris Hadfield. And in his video, he highlighted 20 things that are going on in the world that are changing, transforming, positive. All right? Here's the list. I'm going to share it with you. Whether you want to hear it or not, you're going to hear the list. All right? Here's the list. Number one on his list was the giant panda, which we all know was an endangered species, is no longer on the endangered species list. There's a group called the Ocean Cleanup Project. And in the next year alone, they plan on trying to figure out how to clean up 40% of the plastic materials that are in our world's oceans today. China has announced that it is ending its trade in ivory tusk. U.S. veterans' homelessness is down by 50% over the last 10 years. That's an amazing number. How many of you participated in the Ice Bucket Challenge? Any of you? The Ice Bucket Challenge raised enough money for ALS researchers to now have identified the gene that is responsible for the disease, which they hadn't previously been able to do. China has banned all its coal mines. They will not have any new coal mines. It expects 15% of its economy to be on renewable energy within the next three years, by 2020. The Colombian government and the FARC rebels recently signed an agreement. If you didn't know, in Colombia there had been a civil war that had raged for many, many years. Under this new agreement, they now have a peace in place. Seven million Colombians died or are homeless because of their civil war. We might recall that the exploration drone Juno recently orbited orbited the planet Jupiter and then it plunged into the planet. Researchers are hoping that that's going to give them great insights into the origins of our own solar system. Think about the technology involved to be able to do something like that, right? The manatee. Anybody who's ever been to Florida knows what a manatee is. Dale and I know what a manatee is. Any of the rest of you know what a manatee is? Yeah? The manatee, another one of God's great creatures, also is no longer on the endangered species list. 
Canada recently enacted laws to protect 85% of what's called the Great Bear Rainforest, which happens to be part of the largest temperate rainforest in all of the world. 85% of it now protected. Measles have been eradicated in North, Central, and now South America. In Malawi, HIV in children has seen a 67% decrease. 20 countries recently formed 40 different marine parks, underwater marine parks around the world. These marine parks cover underwater territory that equals the land mass of the United States. Israel now gets 55% of its fresh water through conversion of seawater. It's enabling them to transform their deserts into farmlands. Canadian scientists recently tested an Ebola vaccine, and they had 100% success with their test. World hunger is at its lowest point in 25 years, and the number of tigers in the world is on the rise for the first time in over 100 years. After more than a century, Einstein's theory of gravitational waves has been proven to be accurate. Costa Rica now has 90% of its electrical grid serviced by renewable energy sources. And and the last one I want to share with you is one that I think is the most fascinating on the whole list. 50 million, did you hear that? 50 million. 50 million trees were planted in India in one day. It took 800,000 volunteers to give of their time and their service to lovingly act for creation and plant 50 million trees. Could you imagine if we could build a list of 100, 1,000, 10,000 of these kinds of examples and and the empowerment that that would give to us as humanity to look at the positive things that are going on in our world? But what do we spend all of our time doing? Seeking after other things, such as notoriety and fame and those kinds of things. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, Not everyone can be famous, but everyone can be great, because greatness is determined by service. King also said this, we shouldn't be judged by exterior things, but we should be judged by the content of our character, remember? So what would Jesus do in 2017? Jesus would heal the sick, he would feed the hungry, and as he did then, he would invite his disciples to get in the game and to help out. Because the objective truth of Jesus is, is that we are all called to serve, not simply to be served. The journey with Jesus isn't just an inward journey to our best selves. It is also an outward journey that expresses God's healing, love, and grace that is truly for all people in the world. And I would suggest to you that our character should be shaped mostly by the same compassion that Jesus had for those he saw. Because compassion, compassion will move us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world. So let me ask you a simple question. Who in your frame, who in your sphere do you know is sick or is hungry? And if it's no one, is there somewhere you can go 
where you can meet the sick and the hungry, demonstrate compassion, and serve. Because here's one thing I do know for certain. Not a single one of us is Jesus, right? Amen? Not even me, your preacher. I'm not Jesus either. And that means that the crowds aren't going to come find us. We, we must go so that we can serve those who are hungry and those who are sick. So here's what I hope that you take away this morning. To be reminded that we might spend a lot of time and energy trapped in our our really subjective things that are going on in our world and and they spill over into all areas of our life. But maybe the the one truth that we all can agree upon is, is that Jesus was a person filled with compassion. He was moved whenever he saw the crowds to heal the sick, to bring wholeness to those who were hurting, to feed the hungry in that moment. And to be reminded that Jesus didn't do this all on his own, he called on his disciples then to participate, to give of their time, their talent, their treasure, to demonstrate compassion for the crowds as he did. And that today, we, the modern disciples, we're invited to this very ministry as well, to participate in the healing of the sick, the feeding of the hungry, to give of our time, our talent, our treasure, to let Jesus' compassion loose on a world that is hurting today. So here's your invitation. A couple ways in which you can think about how you might do this, especially as you come to a holiday season of Thanksgiving, right? Baby Grace is one of our great ministries. I've talked about it multiple times, but would remind you that we're going to take an opportunity to serve the under-resourced as we did yesterday. We'll have a holiday party here in a couple weeks. It's a great opportunity just to come down and share and serve people who are in need, who are hungry for a lot of different things in their lives. I saw in the news this week that the Salvation Army is looking for volunteer drivers. They will deliver upwards of a thousand meals to neighbors that cannot get out and don't have anywhere to go during the holidays. What a great opportunity to volunteer and drive a meal to someone who will be alone on the holiday. Or during this holiday season to find someone else that you know that needs to be compassionately embraced. To share with them the love that has been shared with you. Because this is what I know, friends. There's not a single person out there that would refuse it. So will you bow with me for a moment of prayer? High King of Heaven, accept our adoration even as you are adored by the angels around your throne. We praise you that Jesus the Christ has redeemed us and made us to be a kingdom, has made us priests to serve you, O God. We ask that you grant us courage to live sacrificial lives, dedicated to unlimited and unending service, even as Christ came to serve, not to be served. That you would grant us boldness to answer your call to discipleship and the willingness to follow Christ's example to have enough compassion to heal the sick and feed the hungry. May your work be done, and may your kingdom come through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever.